you have your Bibles, I'm in uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 63. And so this morning, uh, I am going, I'm just going to tell you outright, I'm going to commit a preaching crime. And it's not like a, a preaching misdemeanor. Uh, it's one of the big no-nos they teach you very early on in seminary. Uh, we're going to cover um, an entire chapter plus uh, or minus 10 verses. Um, and so they, they tell you in seminary, big no-no, um, don't ever read that much scripture at one time. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is like day one. They're like, don't ever do that. Don't ever read that much scripture at one time. But, but I'm going to ignore all of, all of that, and we're going to read all the scripture. And I want to tell you why. A um, couple of reasons. One is, is we're going to finish Luke in two weeks. Been in it for two years. And when, when we're all said and done, I would hate to say, you know, hey, we, we, got, we, got, we got three weeks away, and then we decided at that point we couldn't handle it. Um, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to finish and go. Yeah, we we glazed over something because we we have not missed a single text in Luke. We've we've dealt with the hard stuff. We've dealt with the pretty stuff. We've dealt with the ugly stuff. And so, uh, just feel like it's really important. Um, the other reason, uh, of course, is is guys. This is this is the most important part of the sermon, right? Like like anything that I have to say, it actually doesn't carry any power or ability. Uh, to change your life, but this, like God's word, it, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, right? It, it can it can penetrate b- b- between you know joints and, and marrow, and, and like like this is this is what it's all about. And so everything that we do here, I mean, the Bible is our foundation. I hope that's why you you come to church here. Um, but but so I just think it's important, um, and, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. So I ask that you pray with me uh, quickly because we have a lot of scripture to read together before we even jump into the text. Okay, so Father, um, we come before you, and uh, I pray uh, this morning if we weren't already thankful for uh, the grace that you displayed for us on the cross of Christ, that as we as we worship through that last song, that that resonated in our spirit a sense of thankfulness. As we now read an account that's very familiar to us, I pray, uh, God, that you would do a new work in our hearts, a new work of gladness, a new work of appreciation. Maybe that for the first time in a long time, we, we would see the cross in a different light. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and to take your rightful place as the teacher of this church. Recognize this is your pulpit and this is your time. So we ask you just to lead us into Jesus. Lift up Jesus, that he might draw us into himself, and that he might change us from the inside out. We ask all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 63. going to finish the last ten verses there. Uh, this is, remember, this was, this was Thursday night. Uh, and then from there on, uh, we're going to launch into early Friday morning up until Christ's death on the cross. And uh, let's, let's read together, okay? Uh, I'm in Luke 22, starting in verse 63. It says, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and they demanded, Prophesy who hit you. And they said many other things in insulting him. Remember, he's been captured, um, taken away, betrayed by Judas, taken away by the chief priests and the temple guards. At daybreak, the council of elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. 
And Jesus answered, If I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? And he replied, You are right in saying, I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose, and they led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. Now, that's blatantly false. We just covered that. Jesus said, give to Caesar what to see. I mean, I want you to see they still have no accusation against Christ. They're still making stuff up. Now, here's the one truth they have, right? And he claims to be the Christ, the king. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and to the crowd, well, I find no basis for a charge against the man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee, and he's come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priest and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him, and then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man as one who was inciting people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice, they cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the, fir- for the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one who they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And they put the cross on him, and they made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. 
When they came to the place called the skull, where they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breast and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, he wrapped it in linen cloth, and he placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home, and they prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. I'm going to share three things with you this morning out of the text. Uh, Some biggies. And here's the first, the overwhelming theme of the passage. I want you to understand that in order to justify guilty sinners, Jesus had to endure the injustice of the cross. In order to justify guilty sinners... Jesus had to endure the injustice of the cross. Now, I know we just read a lot of scripture. Uh, How many people do that on a regular basis in church? You you, you cover like, what do we just do, 85 verses? Yeah, you do that on a regular basis? Not so much, right? And we tend to not do that. Again, it's kind of one of the unwritten rules they teach you early on in seminary not to do that. But one of the reasons I chose such a large section of scripture is because not only does it happen in continuation, this all happened, remember, Jesus is arrested that night. Immediately that night, they began... Uh, You can see even even that that evening, which is against the law, they shouldn't have met in the evening. But even even at night, they begin to judge him and mock him and beat him. Early in the morning, they're they're leading him out uh, to the council and then on to Pilate and then to Herod and back to Pilate. And he's crucified and he dies. All of this happens. It's just one continuous long, long night for Jesus. 
just one really, really long day. And so we do it for continuation purposes. The other reason we do it is only when you read the text this way do you kept catch all the little nuances, right? If we were to break that up into four sermons, you might miss some of the repeating themes. Maybe you caught them as I read, right? For, for instance, when you read the text in this manner, one of the things that you see very early on is the divinity of Jesus, right? Did you, did you catch that as, as we read? Um, I, I, I've got these titles for you all, all throughout the text. These, all these titles are mentioned, right? That Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of Man, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is, in fact, King of the Jews, that Jesus is Christ the God, that Jesus is the Chosen One. Like, all of those, those titles are listed for, for Christ. And we finally find Him saying, yes, that's me, right? Yeah, that's me. I am that per- I am who you speak of. That is me, right? And, and so Luke, like, clearly lays out for us, like, I, don't, don't mistake this, okay? This is, this is God that is dying on the cross, right? I, I mean, that's Jesus is, is the Son of God. That's, this is, this is a divine, right? This isn't a man. This isn't just a person. This is, this is God in the flesh, Hanging on the cross. That's what's going on. So, so, so only when we read it in that context do we see what a strong argument for the divinity of Christ there is. Including Jesus saying, yes, that's me. Right? The other thing we pick up when we read it this way is, is we, we pick up on the innocence of Christ. Right? Not, not only is this God in the flesh... But he is purely innocent. And, and listen to the people that declare it, right? Verse, verse 4, it's Pilate. He says, there's no basis for a charge. I find no basis. Then, then again, in verse 14, he goes to Herod. And Herod says, there, I find no basis for your charges against him. There's no fault in this man, right? He comes back to, to Pilate. And again, in verse 22, there, there's simply no grounds for what you're trying to do here, Pilate says. There's absolutely no grounds for, for the death penalty here. Then verse 41, now it's a thief. Hanging on the cross. And the thief even sees in Jesus. Wait a second, guy. Shut your mouth. How dare you speak? Don't you fear God? We deserve this. But he is innocent, the thief declares. Wow. And then finally, as Jesus breathes his last breath, we have a Roman centurion that's bowing and, 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 and praising God and saying, surely this was a completely righteous man. So the picture of what's happening on the cross is that God in the flesh, who is completely innocent, is suffering. Literally, he's, 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 he's choking to death in our place. In the place of, of guilty sinners like the people on his right and his left. That's, that's, that's the gravity. And, and get this. And while it's going on, the other thing you probably picked up on, while it's going on, the masses are mocking him, right? They're, they're, they're beating him. They're hurling insults at him, right? I mean, even as he's hanging on the cross, they are mocking him. If you're the son of God, if, if you're the king of the Jews, can't you get your... Like, this is just not fair, it's not fair what happens on the cross. It's not right. This is what I want you to understand this morning. It is not right, but it is necessary in order to make us right. It's necessary. So let me explain why, okay? What we know about God is that if God is God, he must always be God. 
What I mean by that is that God can't be God if there is ever a time that he ceases to be himself. If there's ever a time that God ceases to be God, then he is not God. And so when we read the Bible and it it, it tells us these great attributes of God, it means that those attributes, God must always be those things. Always. He can never not be. So God is love. God must always be love. If there's ever a time that God is not love, then he can't be God. Because he must always be himself, right? It's never a time that he can't be loving, right? We, 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 we read that um, uh, in, in other areas that, that God is good, right? We even have that whole saying, God is good all the time, all the right? So God, we say that because, because that, that is part of the character of God. There is never a time that God cannot be good because that is who God is, right? When we say like God is provider, um, there, there's never a time that God is not provider of all things, ever. Like, I, I mean, that, that's why every good and perfect gift we come, comes from the hand of the Father of heavenly light. So, so God is eternal. God, God, God has always been and will always be. Like, there's never a time that God cannot be eternal. God is, is everywhere and, and can see all things, right? God is always that way. God is always looking at past, future, and present all at the same time, which makes no sense to my brain. It's where he exists. In, 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 in an eternal realm, God is, is, is always all-powerful. That's who he is. God, God, God is always the God who, who can speak uh, new life or, or new creation to being. That's, like, he's always the same. And, and, and he can never change in any of these things. And now listen, that's just a handful of his attributes, right? But there's one in particular I want to share with you that has to do with why the cross is necessary. Okay? And it's this. The Bible tells us that God is just. That means there is never a time that God cannot be just. If he's God. Okay? So I want you to see this. While he's all those other things, he is just. Which means this. God could not simply look the other way because of our sin. Because he's just. And the, and the Bible declares the wages of sin is, is death, right? So God couldn't just say, well, I'm God. I don't have to play by those rules. Because he would cease being God. See, the fact that he is just demands the cross. Because justice has to be fulfilled, right? Somebody has to, has to die. Because that's what sin demands. And for God to be God, to fulfill his justness, this has to happen. And so God does the unthinkable. He does the unthinkable. He takes our place. I know you've heard it since you were like five. But look at it and think about it. God, innocent, beaten, mocked, abused, nailed to a cruel cross, suffocating for your sin. It's not right. It's absolutely not right. When's the last time you looked at the cross and said, God, I'm sorry, that's not right. But it was necessary to make us right. It was necessary. God, perfect, innocent, allows himself to endure absolute injustice so that justness, his justness would be Maintain. On, on the cross, Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, serves the just sentence of sinners. What we deserve. 
It's been said that this uh, on the cross is where the wrath and the mercy of God meet. I like that saying. And it's the only way for us to be made right in God's sight. That's it. And so we, we've got we've to start here. In order to justify, in order to make us as if we'd never sinned, in order to make us right, Jesus had to endure all that was wrong. That's what had to happen. He had to endure complete injustice in order for us to be justified. So we start there. Right? Number two, Huge lesson we learn in Jesus' interaction on the cross. Verse 42 and 43 of uh, chapter 23. Is that it's never too late to turn to Jesus. That is, until it's too late. It's never too late to turn to Jesus. Uh, It says says this in verse 42 and uh, 43. Then he says to Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him. I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This passage brings me great comfort. Maybe that sounds weird to you. But it, it brings me great comfort. And here's why. We all have people in our lives that we've been praying for for a long time. Amen. Right? Family members close friends, we've been praying, God, would you, would you let them see you? Would you let them see you and me? Would you let them see the, the way that I'm loving them? Would, would you, you know, do whatever you have to do to intervene? Like, like I, I just pray. So, so for me, I find great hope in this passage, right? As long as those people I'm praying for still have breath in their lungs, there's still a chance, okay? There's still a chance. And, 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 and hear me, there, there are some people that, that don't like that. But this text, it serves as this great reminder. Even if in one's last moments, if they turn their lives to Jesus, they, they, they can be saved, right? And, and, and there are some people, I want you to know, though, there are some religious folks that do not like that interpretation of this passage at all. They don't like it at all. Um, they, they don't like this thought. They, they, they think that it sounds too easy. They, they, they say there's got to be more to it than that, Right? A hard-working religious person might even go as far to say, if they're being brutally honest, that's not fair. The thief on the cross isn't fair, right? I mean, after all, that's, that's what the workers cried uh, in, in that great parable that Jesus told. You remember the man went out and he, he hired day laborers and they agreed on a wage and they worked all day. And then at the last hour, he brought in more workers. And at the end, he chose to pay the ones that had only worked an hour the same wage as those that had worked all day. And the ones that had worked all day cried foul. They said, that's not fair. We've been working harder than they have. And he said, what is it to you? You agreed to work for this wage? I mean, this is what we agreed to at the beginning of the day. So what is it to you if I choose to, to grace them? Hard workers always think that everyone else should have to show the same amount of effort that they do. Our friends at the Church of Christ don't like this passage. They do not like this passage. They've come up with some interesting comments about this passage. Where is repentance, they cry. Where is baptism? Those works are necessary for salvation, they demand. Gone as far to say this, get this. This thief on the cross, they say, surely must have met Jesus at an earlier point. And must have repented from his sins and been baptized. And Luke just didn't record it. 
are you kidding me? Luke has recorded every finite detail to the point that we're like, Luke, why are you adding this in? I mean, I mean, I mean, Luke is an intense investigator and you're going to tell me he missed this moment, right? Maybe like the other long term laborers, they have a problem with the grace of God. You know, the great reformers had five statements that summarized their theological convictions about Christianity. Uh, in Latin, they were called uh, the solas, five solas. And uh, this is really where Protestantism came from, guys, these five statements about faith. And the first was, was sola scriptura. The Bible alone is our authority. Right? You think about the Catholic Church had gotten to this point where the Pope could say anything and it had equal weight with Scripture. And you think about the injustices that were going on in the church and these great reformers said, no more. That, that's not right. That's not of God. These, these, these people, that, that's not Scripture. So it, it, literally the, the cry was the Bible alone is our authority. Another one was, was sola deo gloria, which we, we live for the glory of God alone. It's not about a priest. It's not for the glory of God. This is what our lives are about. And then the final three solas, the final three statements that summarize them, have often been linked together. Uh, in, in Latin, it's sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen, friends, baptism is beautiful. It's important. It's actually commanded. I mean, Jesus tells us to go out and baptize people. Like, he actually tells us to do it. He, he tells people, repent and be baptized. Like, it's, it's actually commanded. But it does not save you. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? Listen, discipleship is important. Right? It's really important to understand what Jesus wants you to look like and live like. I mean, how can you follow Jesus if you don't know Jesus? It's really, again, it's commanded. Go and make disciples. Like God commands it, but it doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. The grace of God, right, through faith in Christ is what saves you. That is it. And so, so what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say to you, all this Steve had time to do was to give the last few moments he had left to live to the Lord. And get this, that was enough for Jesus. That was enough. It's never too late to turn to Jesus until it's too late. If you've still got breath in your lungs. My wife's uh, grandfather walked the aisle uh, he was high up in his 80s, <laughs> had been in church, had heard the gospel over and over and over, and he'd just never, ever, ever given his life to Christ. It is never too late. It's never too late. Now, some would say, uh, well, that's dangerous preaching there, pastor. When you preach a message like that, don't you know? What, what, that, what, what happens? Don't you know that you're just telling people they can go on out and they can do whatever they want to do as long as they want to do it. And at the end, they can just, just go ahead and they're going to be fine. Don't you know that, Pastor? That's dangerous. Maybe. Maybe. But I would say not everyone 
dies a slow death and has an opportunity like the thief to actually repent and turn to Christ, that alone should scare enough people, right? In addition to that, I would say, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you know it's not all about getting in? It's about storing up, right? It's about storing up treasures in heaven. There's a whole nother life to live that lasts forever that God has has detailed in his word where he says, listen, I'm not going to explain to you what these treasures are, but I'm going to tell you, you should be living for them. You should be living for reward, right? And, and so you say, I, I've come to know Christ. What do I do now? Well, you live for his glory, right? I mean, you do what he's called you to do. You serve him. You don't worry about the ways of the world. You don't worry if your 401k is not as fat as the next guy's, right? You, 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 don't, you don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or about what you're going to wear. You trust God. And when your days are done, you get to be with him in glory. And for every faithful act you've done... Bible says you're going to be rewarded by God in a godly fashion, the God who creates and makes all things. I'm just saying it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. That's why they write songs like I can only imagine. It's because we can't, we like, we can't put into words what that's going to be like. You can't put that on the radio, right? People can't sing to that. It's never too late to turn to Jesus until it's too late. Last one I'll share with you. Ready? Through his death on the cross, Jesus made the way for us to have a relationship with God. A relationship with God. Verse uh, 45, verse 45 um, of 23. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The curtain it's talking about was the curtain uh, to the Holy of Holies. And, and you remember, this is a new temple. Uh, the old temple was destroyed. This one uh, it had actually was, was just being like remodeled. Herod was helping pay for it. It was grand. It was glorious. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant's not here. But they still had a Holy of Holies, which, is, uh, which, which symbolized the very presence of God. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, Babylonian invasion, we don't know where it went after that, by the way. So uh, there's, some, there's some thought, there's a bunch of different theories, but we just don't, we know that was, it's gone, okay? So after, after that moment, we don't have any idea. Um, and so uh, the temple is there, and they, they, they kind of erected a stone in place of it, uh, kind of symbolically, but still the rules were the same, that only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and only one day a year on the Day of Atonement, it was, it was complete religion, it was complete separation, uh, it, it, it was complete legalism kind of thing. And so when, when Jesus dies, God does, again, the, the unthinkable through the cross. That curtain is, is completely torn in two. When Jesus dies, he destroys the barrier. He destroys the, the division uh, to himself. Because that's what that was. That was, that was. that was where God was found. And, and so when Jesus dies, God destroys any barrier between himself and, and the people. It's gone. Right? There's, there's no more division. The, the, the curtain to the Holy of Holies is completely destroyed. There's no more separation between man and God. None. For all who believe now will be made alive in Christ. Will become sons and daughters of God. Will become heirs to the kingdom of God. Do you understand what a big deal that is? All of the Bible leading up to this point. All of it. No one has felt close to God. 
No, I mean, we had, we had Moses that would, that would talk with God, right? And all of the people, like, like us, right? Nobody feels close to God. Nobody. None of it. No matter what people did, no matter what they offered, uh, burn offerings, um, um, drink offerings, they, they were still far off from God and they knew it. Hebrews said that nothing they did could ever clean their conscience. Wow. The distance they, they felt. But now through Jesus, the Bible says God can live in us. <laughs> Not just that we... We can have access to him, but he will live in us. Paul says, this is the mystery of the gospel, Christ in you, God in you. I would say to you, friends, this is not religion. Religion is always about the external. Religion is, it's about rules, it's about regulations, it's about divisions. Religion is very much about staying in your lane, right? And it dictates exactly what your lane is, by the way. This is what you have to do. You do it. Thus saith the Lord. It's religion. But Jesus didn't die for religion, friends. And we know that because religion already existed. In fact, when Jesus died, he he tore the greatest symbol of religion up. He said no more. When Jesus died, he did so to make a way for you and I to have a relationship with God. A relationship. Cannot overstate that talked with somebody uh, this week as a family member, uh, and their family member it belongs to a cult. There's no other way to say it, right? They do. Uh, they have great love for them, but uh, it's all religion. It's all religion. How sad it is to know somebody really religious, and they don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. They've completely missed what this was about. All right, let me give you some application. We'll be done. Uh, First and foremost, I want to challenge you to see the cross in light of the cost. Right? What it took to justify us. Jesus had to endure all of the injustice of the world. I mean, Jesus, perfect. Right? Dying in our place. And this is the only way we can be made right. And it, it's not right. Like, like I, I, it, we just have to, we have to change our perception. For us, I think the cross has become decoration. Right? I mean, it's, it's just become, we're going to put it on our necklace, or we're going to wear it on our shirt, and we're going to glance at it in church. But, but it has lost its meaning and its significance. Because we don't, we don't like to think about the cost. We're like, oh yeah, Jesus isn't there anymore. Gee, my God's not dead. He's, he's alive. Yep. Yeah. And you can be alive too, right? But don't forget what happened here. The cost, what God had to endure for our sake is huge. And so I, I would just challenge you, maybe, maybe rekindle a new uh, love for the cross, a new passion, that when you walk past it, stop and stare for a moment. Think, wow, God, why? Why, why me? Right? So think about the cross in light of the cost. Number two, uh, challenge would always be to turn to Jesus while there's still time, right? If you're here and, and, and you have rejected his lordship, uh, listen, I can't point you to a better passage in all of scripture. <laughs> I, I, I can't turn to, like, like this, is, this, is, this is the climax, uh, right? I mean, we're going to have resurrection. We're going to have an empty tomb here in a second, but, but I'm just here to tell you that this is God in the flesh dying for you. And, and, and listen, you, you get to choose one of two things. Either you will pay for your sins or you're going to let him pay for your sins. 
Now, this is already finished, friends. I, I, I'm telling you, this is the better way. This is the better choice, right? Because there's not enough goodness in you to cover for your sins. You'll pay for them for an eternity. Or you can accept the fact that God has already paid for them for you, right? While there's still time, you say, I'm 80, I've never done that. That's okay. That's, in fact, that's perfect. That's biblical. It's okay while well, you're bringing them, you know, I know 80 is not your last few breaths. I mean, we're all going to live to 120 now. Checking out way before that, I'm just telling you guys. Turn to Jesus while there's time. Lastly, it's a big one. Don't settle for religion. Just don't do it. How many of you could say that uh, this is a, a, a challenge for you? Can we just be honest? In our flesh, we like rules and we like lanes, right? Don't we? I'm the only one. I'm the only one. You guys are all relationship. Well, God bless you. Glad I'm the only Pharisee that showed up today. Liars. You going through life just seeking to know him and to be known by him? Is that your aim? Because everything else is religion. That's a, that's a hard one, right? I mean, that's a hard one. Now, Jesus is clear. He tells us we're supposed to show up at this place, right? He says, don't forsake the assembly. That's in his word, right? So we know that's part of the deal. We know we're supposed to worship him. We know community is important. We see the early followers. They did life together. We know that's what we're called into that kind of biblical community. We get those things. But I'm just telling you, it is easy to do a checklist, brother. It is easy. I woke up today. I did my quiet time. I listened to some music. I did, that's awesome. It's awesome if in it you're finding Christ. If in it you're spending time with Jesus and your heart is being transformed, awesome. But if it's not, then you've fallen way short of what Christ died for. Listen, he didn't die so that you would have to show up so somebody else could teach you what he said. I love you. Like church, Again, church is important, right? But literally, there is no division. There's no difference between the two of us. None. I mean, I've got a little bit of college in regards to this, right? I mean, there's, there's no... We have the same access. We have the same spirit. We have the same ability to read the same text and, and to pray to the same God. There is no division. There is no separation. There's no higherness that comes up here to teach or to lead. It doesn't exist. So don't act like it. That's one of my biggest frustrations. You know, frustration is not a fruit of the spirit, by the way. I recognize that. But one of my biggest frustrations in the church today is that the Bible declares we're all ministers, yet the church universally hires a few people to go and minister for them. Why are you still worshiping religion and division when God came and lived and died to destroy it? To give you complete access, complete freedom, and complete power to go and to do what he has been doing. 
You understand? You see the difference? We are made for relationship. So don't settle for anything less. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Pray that these seeds that are sown here today would take deep root in our hearts. That's our prayer. That is what we need. Holy Spirit, just in this moment, we're just going to pause for a second. We're not going to make people get out of their seats. We're not going to make anybody come forward. But just in this moment, answer this very simple prayer from our hearts. Holy Spirit, how are you speaking to me today? We're going to pause. Holy Spirit, answer that question for us. How are you speaking to me today, right now? King Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me for every time I have walked past your cross and not been in awe. (laughs) Forgive me for how easy it seems I forget exactly how much it cost you to make me right. (laughs) Give me the strength to live as you would want me to live to turn to you daily. And God, help me more to seek a relationship with you and not to settle for jumping through religious hoops anymore. Thank you, Jesus.